Hello and welcome back to Rate Rate Show with Sahan and Jerzen. And this is a show where we talk about tools, techniques and systems in the world of productivity and decide if they're overrated, underrated or somewhere in between. Tell me, Jerzen, how are you doing this week? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Uh, I feel a little under the weather because I got the second dose of my COVID-19 vaccination on Friday and it's been a couple of days. So I've just been, you know, feeling the wrath of the side effects, just been a little under the weather because of that. I've, I'm also excited because my classes start on Tuesday in a week from now, and I've started preparing for them, started pre-reading my material, and yeah, that's how my days have been this week. How are you? Dude, I am doing well. Yeah, I've been on a bit of like a, a posting rampage maybe, in that I'm, I put clips of this podcast on our channel, uh, I released another video, well, we talked about it in our last episode about nostalgia, and then... Yesterday, I posted another video about Remnote. So it's been a been a busy week, yeah. I, but I dude, saw that. Super it wasn't cool. it the video about studying math? Oh, sorry. Wasn't it about studying math? Yes, it was about studying math. It was... So it's interesting because a lot of people... A lot of people talk about becoming a content creator. And I think part of that is realizing that you can curate other people's work rather than just create something from nothing. So I read a really good article about studying Remnote with math, and I used that... Uh, as based on my video, but I was actually very worried because when you're creating someone else's work, it does feel a bit like plagiarism uh, coming from a lucky university uh, background. So I was very clear that this like this has come from this guy and it's not just me. But yeah, I think it's going well. That's great. Yeah, I agree though, because um, something that I read, I don't know if I, I think it was by Austin Cleon from Show Your Work. He basically said that creativity is essentially when you take other people's work then you put it together in your own creative way. And I always say that's like putting your own creative bow tie on it. So yeah, creativity by itself, coming up with anything, like coming up with an idea out of nothing, I think that's pretty difficult. So the other way is easier and it's also the one that people mostly end up doing. So what are we talking about this week? So this week is a big episode because obviously I've been a teacher, you're a student, and today we're talking about studying. Specifically, we're talking about active recall, mind maps, and interleaving. So I'll let you start. Yep. Talk to us about active recall. All right. Okay. So active recall is basically, if you're on the internet and if you're a student, you must have heard about active recall. But if you haven't, it's essentially one of the best ways to revise and study your content. It's proven by a lot of experiments. So you have all these data, you have all this data online, which proves that active recall and along with active recall spaced repetition, these two are pretty great to remember stuff. Now, what is it? So basically, the normal way in which most of us study, at least this is how I did it before I discovered active recall back in high school, was you would read what you have, like you would read what you have in the textbook, you would summarize it into your own notes, and then right before the exam, you would reread the content on and on, hoping, you know, some sort of osmosis happens from the book to your brain. This is proven to not be that efficient. And what that means is that it's going to take a lot of rereading sessions and a lot of repetitions of that to get the content into your brain effectively to, to get to a point where you'll remember stuff. Active recall is basically the opposite. So what I just mentioned was passive recall, where you're passively passing on the information from the book or your notes to your brain. Active recall is different in the fact that you try to remember the information first and then you would look at it. So this can be done in a multitude of ways. You have flashcards, questions and answers, a whole load of different methods to do it. And 
Yeah, I have been applying Active Recall into my studying method for the better part of, I think, about two years now, ever since I discovered it way back in my first year of medical school. So have you toyed with Active Recall? Have you ever used it? What are your thoughts about it? Yes, I have. Uh, I think before we I talk about that, we should talk about Active Recall and also Space Repetition because Jerzen mentioned Space Repetition and the two go hand in hand. So if Active Recall is like going to the gym to improve your memory, Space Repetition, I like to think of it as the routine. It's how often you're doing things. And it's basically a scientifically proven way of combating the forgetting curve, which tells us that information is lost if there's no attempt at retaining it. And so what happens is you'll, if you let's say I learn something today, I'll learn it in, I'll learn it then tomorrow and then in a week and then two weeks. And by using these spaced intervals, it is retained in the most efficient way. Um, and so I've used this a lot throughout my educational journey. And I find it extremely useful, active recall for stuff like learning vocabulary. So when I learned German at school or when I learned Spanish by myself, uh, yeah, dude, using something like Remnote or Anki, that combination of space repetition and active recall has been extremely useful in my, um, in my experience. And I think when I, especially for stuff like maths, for me, it's almost always about active recall. For certain subjects where you know it's all about the procedure and answering problems, like when it comes to subjects like that, there's no point in reading your notes, dude. If you're doing something like maths or physics, I mean, for all subjects, but past papers, practice questions, stuff like that, get that active recall going and you will do very well. Yeah. I think this is one thing that's sort of misunderstood about active recall. People think that it's just flashcards or questions and answers, but there's a lot of ways in which you can perform active recall and also space repetition. But people just don't realize it. So I think one of the best methods, like you mentioned, were past papers. So I studied, when I was studying here in Dubai, I studied with the Indian board called CBSE, and they put out past papers for your finals. So papers from the previous year, I think it's a previous 10 years or something. So going through all of those gives you an idea of how the questions are, and it also tests your information, tests your memory, basically. And I think that's a pretty good way to study. It's way better than just rereading your notes. I would actually go as far as saying that I don't take traditional notes anymore. Like all the notes that I take in university now, they are basically just questions and answers or flashcards because I do use RemNote as well. And uh, I, I've stopped actually taking notes down because you're given all the information. You can either Google them up or you're given all these presentations and lectures. And the way, the way it's done in my university, you basically get all the information that you need, nothing extra. So it's just a matter of making all of that into questions. And then, yeah, I feel like another way where Active Recall has been helpful for me is that it helps me sort of understand things rather than just memorize them. So when you're rereading something, you tend to just memorize what you're reading. So people do this a lot for languages. They would just read a phrase or something and then they would just memorize it instead of just under, instead of understanding the pieces of it, like the grammatical pieces of that word or that sentence. And this has been especially helpful for me in medicine, in physiology. So for us, our physio questions were structured in a way where if you understood the concept, you could answer any of the questions. And people, you, you always had two camps of people, people that were memorizing the content, memorizing the lecture or the textbook, and people that were understanding what's actually happening behind the scenes, what's, what's happening in your body, basically. And 
Yeah, I think that's important because that can help you with questions where they ask you to apply the information, where it's like a practical problem or a patient case or something like that. So, yeah, this is also something known as the Feynman technique. Let me just touch on that for a minute. I, I love talking about this, so that's why uh, I can go on for ages. So the Feynman technique is basically when you ask yourself, all right, so I've studied this right now. Can I explain this to someone that has, okay, the usual thing goes like, can I explain this to a five-year-old? But what I think it really means is that, can I explain this to someone that's not from my field? So for example, if I were to explain something in physiology to you, you're not a part, uh, you're not in the field of medicine, you're into uh, teaching and geography and things like that, right? So can I explain it to you very in very basic terms? I'm not a medical nerd in my body. Exactly. So if I can explain it to you in very simple terms so that you would understand it, or if I can teach it to you, that means I've personally understood it 100%. And that means it's going to be there in my brain. And when I do active recall, I'm probably going to get it much easier than I would have otherwise. So I think that's also pretty important. It's something that you should also add in Feynman technique. So yeah, what are your thoughts? Oh, let me touch on spaced repetition also. I forgot about that. So spaced repetition, like you meant, uh, I think the thing about spaced repetition is that it's important to know, it's, it's important to know how well you're doing for spaced repetition to be effective. So basically how I do it is if I'm doing spaced repetition, I'm basically also doing active recall. So I would open up all the questions that I've made for myself, or I would open up a past paper and then once I bash through all those questions, I would then look, I would then like relook if I got a lot of the answers correctly. If I did get a lot of the answers correctly, I would then push the date for the next space repetition further into the future than I would if I got most of the answers wrong. But nowadays this is sort of negated if you use an app like Anki or Remnode because those have space repetition algorithms built in. So you're basically trusting the computer to show you the question on time. And now that's also pretty great, but yeah. What are your thoughts? I can't imagine doing space repetition without an app like Anki or Remnant. Yeah, dude. I I think the thing is, you get to a stage where you combine space repetition with like interleaving, which we're going to talk about later. And so, for example, I would be in a session in Remnant, and I'd be studying Spanish vocabulary for like housing, pets, lifestyle. You bring in some other, like maybe like some Portuguese or some German. You bring in like some questions from, um, yeah from like another subject you're doing and dude i think these apps are so underrated in that the power they have to just show you what you need to learn in the most efficient manner and i think it's i find it very strange as someone who's in the education system like and let's say we're teaching students languages for stuff like vocab like srs or space repetition systems are so powerful i think in a lot of things they are but especially for like language um and I think it's difficult because you have students who have never found these techniques. Like they don't, they don't truly understand active recall and space repetition. And they think like their, maybe their lack of aptitude or their, their own lack of effort is responsible for their, their lower results, let's say. But I think when you discover these things, it feels like a massive hack. Does it not? It does. It does. Definitely. So I discovered all of this way back in 2019, like I mentioned in my first year of medical school and when I started out, I was thinking to myself, okay, this doesn't make any sense. Like I'm just writing down questions and I don't know the answers to them. 
But the more you do it, the more you realize that, oh, wait, this is actually working. It, it just happens in the background. It just starts working and you just start realizing that you're remembering stuff better and you're understanding things better if you apply the Feynman technique as well. And yeah, sort of feels like a little life hack that you discover. In conclusion, are they overrated, underrated, or somewhere in between? Active recall and space repetition. Highly underrated. Not a lot of people know about active <clears throat> recall and space repetition, and I feel like people should know about it because it is the best way to study. Proven by science, I'm not saying it. And also just from personal experience. Like I'm not just coding some scientific document, but I from like for me from personal experience, I can say that I have greatly benefited from active recall and space repetition. One with remembering more stuff and two, it just takes less time if you think about it. Like you you can study things quicker with active recall and space repetition and I would even go as far as saying that because of that more because of the extra time that I got, I got time to actually start my blog and then my newsletter, YouTube channel, and now this podcast in that order. So yeah, highly, highly underrated. What do you think? I agree. Highly, highly underrated. And I think you're right. It does save so much time. I think where people struggle is a lot of people don't realize that. And so they don't want to make the investment, especially with SRS, to learn how to use a Remnode or an Anki. But luckily, if you go to our channels, you will learn how to use them. So there you go. Shameless plug. So exactly. <laughs> All right. Simple. Got to keep it in there. I actually want to take a minute to act, touch up on different methods of active recall. And I want to ask you, Sahan, what's your favorite method of doing active recall? But Because there's a ton of them. You have flashcards, questions and answers, toggles, like you said, past papers. What's your favorite method? What I think it's hugely like? dependent on the domain mm -hmm. in which you're studying. So yeah. what am I, so for example, like languages, like I've talked about, it was always um, uh, flashcards, like, like a, either a word or a phrase in Spanish and then on the reverse side, English. But with stuff that's a bit more holistic and requires more understanding, past papers or explaining to friends, like I always found with geography, a lot of the stuff we were studying was very philosophical because I did human geography. So it was less about rocks and more about populations and uh, theory and like, gender and so for me we'd often especially in academia especially in the humanities do the papers are so obtuse like they're written in a way where they want to annoy you with how how difficult and verbose they can be so i always found the best way for me was to have a study group and try and talk about the papers we're in and i would like i'd have having read the paper leave it to the side and try and explain what i've read what i've understood in the most simple language possible and that was so, so useful in helping me understand what I knew and what I didn't know. Because if you can't explain right. it to people, like mm -hmm. you, don't un you don't know what you're talking about, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned, the Feynman technique, basically. Like if you can explain it to exactly. someone that doesn't, it's, it's highly beneficial. All right, okay. I would agree. I, I, I would think, I would say that it's very subjective upon, well, the subject. So for example, within medicine, you have all these different subjects. So let's take anatomy, for example. Anatomy is a very visual subject. You're basically learning about the human body. And then I, fr I found out that personally for, the, for me, the best way to study anatomy was by getting pictures of, I don't know, let's say a bone or a muscle or a nerve or something like that. You have all of these online and then making a closed deletion flashcard out of it. Not a closed deletion, sorry, an image occlusion where you would hide some part of the photo and yeah. And, and those moments, I thought flashcards were really great. But for other subjects where you have to explain a lot of stuff, I always prefer doing questions and answers. So I used to use Notion for this. And I use a little toggle function in Notion where you can hide a chunk of text under something else. And then the 
the top thing, the toggle would be a question and underneath that would be the answer. And yeah, that worked quite a bit for me. But I would say the one con with that was that I had to do the space repetition, figure like figuring out when to revise. I had to do that manually. Like I couldn't do it automatically, but it wasn't too bad. You could, I mean, I've seen people do it, do it automatically because you have all these formulas that you can use in Notion. But yeah, I wasn't that smart. Right. That's active recall and space repetition. What are we talking about next? So next we're talking about mind maps. Right. Okay. Mind maps. So I use mind maps quite a bit. And if I remember correctly, you don't, right? I mean, you don't use no. them to the extent that I do. Right. So for those that don't know, a mind map is a diagram used to visually organize information. It's hierarchical and it shows relationships among pieces of the whole. That was a Google definition, but in simple man terms, it's basically when you would write the central topic on a piece of paper. This is how I do it. You write the central topic on a piece of paper, and then you would draw out little branches from that central topic. So this could be, for example, let's say the human body, and then you have upper limbs, for example, if it's anatomy, upper limbs, and then you have uh, like different parts. So you have a humerus and then the different bones and stuff. So it keeps going on like that. It's hierarchical. And that's what a mind map is in its very basic form. So have you ever used mind maps? Yes, I have. I, I have, I think I've made the occasional mind map, um, yeah, especially in high school or secondary school at university, almost never, but I see, I see their usefulness. So I think if you want to see like a summary of a whole idea or a whole domain, see all the different concepts and connections. So I think mind maps are great. Like if you were doing a, for example, like a literature review or trying to understand a concept in its entirety. Great. However, dude, I, sometimes I see the mind maps and maybe because I don't particularly use them and none of my friends ever have, I see them on YouTube and they're so intricate, they're beautiful, all these different colors. And I'm just like, dude, this cannot be time efficient. Like these people with all their gel pens and like their drawings, uh, dude, I can't, and like, especially if you're, if you're making a mind map, I think it's like, the question is, what are you what are you doing it for? If you're doing it to like try and understand a subject, that's fair enough. But if you're attempting to like memorize stuff, doing a mind map while looking at your notes is so ineffective. Like I just can't imagine because there's no, if there's no active recall going on in there, going on, then you're not solidifying it in your memory. And so, dude, I, yeah, I, I can't imagine ever using mind maps in the future to try and learn stuff. Like in terms of, memorize for an exam specifically if we're talking about studying we're talking about learning and for exams because sadly that's what like a lot of studying revolves around i can't say i've used them but you have to understand this comes from someone who does not have an artistic bone in his body in the terms of drawing and so maybe that's why maybe secretly this is just a big pang of jealousy for all those people with their beautiful mind maps all right yeah. okay i have quite a bit to say so first of all i would say mind maps don't have to be neat. Like I know there are these people that make all these mind maps that are really colorful and pretty and they have all these beautiful bubbles and stuff. If you've seen my mind map, it's always one color, it's just one pen and it's it's messy, like it's, it looks horrible. I feel like the people that make colorful mind maps are the same type of people that make beautiful notes. Like when you have all these beautiful notes with all the beautiful headings and the highlighters and stuff, I feel like it's a waste of time. It looks pretty, yeah, it might help you in studying and stuff, but I personally think that it's a waste of time. I never find use from it. I think mind maps, like you mentioned, it's not great for learning, but I think it's pretty useful in two domains. The first one is 
when you're trying to figure out what you have to study in that certain topic or subject. So this is called scoping the subject. I do this pretty much every single time I sit down to study if I'm studying something new. This is helpful. So it's when you would go through the table of contents or you would just go through the subheadings of what you're going to be studying or the title, I mean, the headings of each slide in your presentation. And you would note it all down to see what you're going to be studying. So at you don't lose the uh, tree from the forest when you're studying basically like Ali Abdal said it so you're not studying something and then going way too way too in depth with it and then basically losing yourself with what you actually have to study right I, I think we've all been there so one way to do it like the classical way of doing it is basically by jotting down the bullet points and putting down the headings and the subheadings but I think mind maps also help because it can help you spatially orient everything if that makes sense. Like, if I write the central idea down, I can put everything out of one topic on one side, the other one on the other side. It's not just, it's not linear. You have more directions with it. And that can, that helps me personally with um, scoping the subject. So that's one domain and area where I would use mind maps. The second, surprisingly, is actually with active recall. So I know I don't think a lot of people do this, right? But I would call this the disposable mind map method. I just came up with that name. Basically, when I sit down to study something or revise something, actually, when I sit down to revise something, I would essentially try and draw a mind map of what I know. And this helps me sort of, like I said, spatially oriented. And I, I found that the spatial orientation of what I see and what I draw usually helps me in remembering things better because I would think to myself, oh, there were like three nodes on the right hand side and five nodes on the left hand side. So the next time I'm basically doing the mind map again, I could think in that way. I think that's pretty helpful. I don't see a lot of people doing it and it's helped me quite a bit. It's very subjective, like it, it, it can't work for every single subject. I don't think it can work for very theoretical subjects, but where for these subjects where you have a list of things to remember, for example, with pharmacology, you have, for example, let's say you're doing the chapter on the drugs that help you reduce your blood pressure, the medications that help you, like antihypertensives, basically. You could just write down antihypertensives in the middle of the paper and then just go around like, so you have different methods of reducing your blood pressure. So I could go like, okay, so you have ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers and things like that. So like you can go in different directions with all of them. And that's, that's actually one of my preferred active recall methods. I've spoken about this on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to know more, you can check out those videos, but yeah, I, I'm assuming that you haven't used mind maps for active recall though. Like you mentioned. No, never, never for active recall. Although I think if you combine with active recall, I think they would have a lot of value because I think you are actually right in that there is something about the spatial nature of a mind map, which means that you can cluster things together or put them far apart that definitely assists you in an understanding. And I think I have, you know, have used mind maps, but not when studying. Like, for example, let's say, again, not on paper. There's an app uh, called Scapel, which is really good. It's paid, but I recommend it for very basic mind maps. Uh, very intuitive. But this app, what you can do is you basically make little mind maps and lines. And uh, it's very good for scoping out a subject. Like I said, for me, I funnily, I would scope out a subject, but for me, it'd be like when I'm writing an essay. Because when you get to university, at A-level or GCC, it's very much about retaining knowledge. But at a, at university, it's much more about finding your own unique angle within the literature. And to do that, you need to know what the literature consists of. And for me, this has always been about making, scoping the subject, making mind maps uh, occasionally, and looking at what sort of area hasn't connected to the others or hasn't 
Like, where is there some sort of link that I can draw that hasn't been made yet? And so in terms of that, it's not particularly studying, but real mind maps are really effective for stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. That makes sense. And yeah, like I mentioned, the disposable mind map method, it's like you can't use those mind maps ever. Like they're going to look horrible. They're going to look horrendous. And I don't think looking at a mind map and then reading like in air quotes reading the mind map that's going to be helpful but making them just like little ones for active recall i think that's a pretty great idea so bottom line underrated or overrated so i think before you told i would have said massively overrated but i mm -hmm. think i still think they're kind of overrated but uh less so <laughs> especially if you're using I... active recall with them then okay. i forgive you a little bit but still slightly overrated i would say yeah I would say they're underrated. Like, I think they're pretty great for scoping out subjects. Like, if like the spatial orientation of it, I, I feel like that's pretty great. I feel like that's pretty helpful, especially for the active recall and scoping subject bit. Right, so the final thing we're gonna be talking about this week is interleaving. So I had no idea what interleaving was before we had the little pre-discussion before this episode. So you're gonna take the reins on this one and tell me what interleaving is, and then, yeah, let's have a small discussion about that. Interleaving is a process where students mix or interleave multiple subjects or topics while they study in order to improve their learning. So in basic terms, rather than doing separate blocks of different subjects, you mix them all up. And why, why does this help? Why is this better? Well, the evidence is that this actually makes things a little bit harder. And so it's from that additional difficulty you benefit. So like, for example, if I was doing one set of math problems, uh, for thirty for like an hour, well, because I'm doing the same thing, my, my, it's easier for my brain. But if I mix it up with, let's say I'm doing trigonometry, I mix it up with calculus or uh, graphs. That by mixing it up, I'm adding a level of, a level of difficulty, which actually helps me to, will help me to remember in the long run. And yeah, interestingly though, there's some evidence that this is most beneficial when you do it with subjects that are quite similar. So for example, let's say I'm studying. I shouldn't, if you're, in, if you're trying to maximize the efficiency or efficacy of interleaving, it shouldn't be like English and maths and Spanish. You want to do subjects that are kind of similar, for example, uh, maths, physics, chemistry, biology, because apparently it's something to do with the fact that when you interleave these subjects, your brain has to make, has to notice that really, really small differences between ideas, and that actually increases the memorization. Have you ever used interleaving right, okay. or what are your thoughts on it? So I've clearly unknowingly used interleaving because I, I didn't know that there was a word for it. I don't know the definition of it, but I've used interleaving. Like I have, I do study multiple subjects in a day or in one study session. So for example, in the morning I would study, I keep going back to these examples, but basically in the morning I would study physio and then in the afternoon I would study biochem and then in the evening I would study microbiology if I have the time and energy to do that. But yeah, other than that, I don't think I've used interleaving all that much. Can you do interleaving for topics? Is that a thing? Like, for example, I would study, like, in different subjects, you might study about the same organ. So, for example, in anatomy, you study the anatomical structure of the heart and the gross structure of it and, like, all the little parts of it. In physiology, you would actually study the working of it. And sometimes I would do that in the same semester and they would be overlapping. So I would study those together. So I would do the anatomy part and then do the physiology part. Is that considered as interleaving or is it just me studying the topic of the heart in different subjects? 
No, that is definitely considered interleaving. I actually think this is one of the biggest misconceptions. Is people think interleaving is like, I'll do an hour in English, an hour of maths, an hour of Spanish. When in actuality, it's more about mixing up topics within the subject. Like that's where, uh, when the research papers come out, when people, and people study this, uh, they focus on that sort of interleaving. And so, yeah, it's much more about, let's say I'm doing, let's say I'm studying for my maths A-level. A lot of people choose to do certain questions. Let's say I know I'm bad at trigonometry. They'll be like, I'll just do an hour of trig questions. That's not the most effective way to do it. Choose your three worst or the three things you want to study, like trig, calculus, uh, equations, and mix those up. So do one trig question, one calculus, uh, one of the other ones, I can't remember what I said. And that is interleaving in a sense, yeah. So definitely, definitely, definitely use it with topics if you're planning to interleave. In a way, it's sort of like the micro scale of spaced repetition, because you're going to like space some time between repetitions of the same thing. All right. Okay, definitely. Interleaving has helped then for sure. Like if that's the definition of interleaving, I've definitely used it. And it's helped so much because, yeah, I don't think like I've, I think I've inherently done it without knowing about it. So I would say that it's pretty underrated as well. I've underrated every single thing in this episode. Like, this has been a pretty special episode to me because I love talking about studying, and this is pretty much my, this is our niche in a way. So, yeah, yeah. highly underrated Dude, in my I, interleaving. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for the episode where you overrate everything and I underrate everything. So that will be a special, <laughs> special episode, yeah. Special, special. Yeah. But I agree. Interleaving, massively underrated. It's, it's yeah. I, I feel bad because there's nothing really more to say. Like, it's proven to help, like... It's definitely something you should try doing because the thing with interleaving is the alternative just sounds stupid. Like if you just want to say, I want to do a day of maths, a day of Spanish, a day of physics, that's dumb. And the same with, uh, I guess with topics, you can make an argument, like a logical argument, but mm-hmm. the science just backs it up that says, if you're planning to study, mix up, mix things up. So yeah, massively underrated. In a way, your brain just gets bored of the same thing in a way. So you tend to lose focus and yeah. I would say this is also a good argument for past papers because past papers aren't going to be the same question all over again. It's going to be a mix and match of everything. And it's not going to be in like from the easiest question to the most difficult question. It's probably going to be in a very mixed up order. So I think that's another argument for using past papers to study with. Right. Let's move on to the underrated thing of the week. What's yours? So my underrated thing of this week is a smart plug. So I got one of these very cheap of Amazon for about nine pounds. And what it is, it's a plug that you put into your socket and then you plug in whatever you want, like a lamp or a clock. And it means that using an app on my phone, I can now turn it on and off. I can now set a timer. And so, uh, yeah. So I use it mainly for my lamp because like, let's say I'm reading in bed. I don't want to get out and then turn the lamp off so I can turn it off with my phone. Or if you listen to our thing about alarms, I now can put it in my light and have that turn on automatically if I wanted to. So yeah, dude. That's cool. Smart plugs. All right, okay. They're the future. Is it, does it integrate with other smart home? Like, I feel like this is an alternative, like a budget alternative to buying an actual smart, like like a Philips Hue bulb or something. It's basically like it can make dumb machines, dumb machines into smart machines with the smart plug. Does it integrate with like Google Home or Amazon Echo? Yes, yes. Home pods and stuff. Uh, I don't have an Echo, but uh, this one, which again is a non-brand. Random one on Amazon does integrate with Amazon Echo, so yeah, that's cool. So you can just go like you know, Alexa, turn the lights off or something. I feel like that's pretty cool. exactly yeah. Right, okay, cool, cool, cool. What about you, Jason? Um, what is your underrated thing for this week? So I have an underrated person for this week. Actually, oh, it's a plot YouTuber. Twist. Plot twist, yes. 
His name is Yath Prem. I'm gonna link his channel down in the description. But he basically makes content that's very similar to ours and also Ali Abdal's if you're into that. So it's in the productivity niche. He's a medical, uh, now he's not a medical student anymore. He's actually a junior doctor now in London. And he makes pretty great content. They look, the videos look amazing. Like it's, it's crispy all over, it looks great. And his content is quite interesting. Like it's a different take on different things. Like he covers a lot of things all the way from money to design. He's also a designer, so from money to design to being a YouTuber and being a medical student. So I would say like check out his channel, show some love, pretty great. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for this week's episode. All right, see you next week then. Goodbye. See you next week, guys. Thank you.